Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Runner's World podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you the latest training advice, news and interviews from the wide world of running. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, tell us what we've got coming up on this episode. This month we'll be speaking to Damien Hall about his fifth place at the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. Sophie Power will be talking about how she managed to complete said ultramarathon whilst breastfeeding. Author and runner Marcus Torgby will be talking about running in the Swedish wilderness. And we catch up with sprint star Dina Ashersmith to talk medals, motivation and chocolate buttons. Do you like a chocolate button, Rick? Yeah, I'm up for it. I'm, I'm getting increasingly into chocolate, actually. Oh, were you not really a chocolate man? No, I wasn't. I was quite... Um, I went through a few years of being a very um, disciplined eater. Stroke a bit boring. So I would be like, no chocolate, I don't really like it. Ice cream? Blah, blah. Again, similar thing. But actually, oh. I think that I was really, I was just denying myself these things in a kind of bid to be, in my mind, like fitter. I think it was. Right. So, and I think, I, you know, I never think it got out of control or anything, but I just think actually I should have let myself have more treats, and now I am. What's your confectionery of choice? I'm a bit classic. I always like a Snickers. Oh, that's a great shout. Yeah, I love a Snickers. Oh, yes. I'm proud to say it. Is it because it used to be called a marathon? <laughs> oh, God. Right, maybe, maybe I thought subconsciously I was doing marathon training by eating Snickers. That's what we all thought. But I'm back on the chocolate. How about you? Uh, unrelenting. <laughs> My one I constant. Have, I, I have to go the other way and like have time off of it. Right. Yeah, because if it's like if it's there, I'll just eat it. Well, apart from um, eating chocolate, Ben, what else have you been been up to? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so I recently had an MRI on my knee. Okay. To get to the, the the bottom of an ongoing issue. And what's the diagnosis? Oh, there's something to do with my meniscus. Okay. I mean, some you know, it's one of these things. But I can run, so that's fine. I've still been running. Okay. We had a particularly joyful session, uh, interval oh, we session. We did. We did a 15K of... Uh, if, what? A, if anyone wants to replicate this, feel free. It was a 10-minute warm-up. 10-minute warm-up. And then an hour of three minutes on at threshold, pretty much, and then three minutes off at sort of like a steady recovery. You yeah. just do that for an hour. It started off being jovial. We were like, ha this is this is brilliant. And then it got really hard. And there was no more talk after rep seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, what about you? So I run hiked, or like I guess you call it fast packing, Ooh. if you were from the States, fast packing, right. um, across the North Downs Way. So I did 37 miles to celebrate my uh, best mate George's 37th birthday. Fun. So it's kind of like this run your age thing. And I think yeah. it's a tradition that we all... Only do for a few more years because oh. I just can't see us being 65 and being like, hey, cool. man, <laughs> here we go. 65 miles. Here we go. Um, bring your bus pass. Uh, also took part in the uh, Rye Ancient Trails race, which is um, organised by 
Sam Murphy, who... Uh, our fantastic columnist. Yeah, our, our columnist. Uh, it was brilliant. There was a 15K and a 30K, and being heroic, I chose a 15K. <laughs> well done. Yeah, and we also must note, Kerry did the 30K. Kerry did the 30K. And said it was extra better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I saw him at the end. I'm not sure he was in, in the best state, but fair play to for Kerry for doing it. I mean, he did run twice as far as me, so... Yeah, it's true. Fair enough. Yeah. Right, should we get on with the... Uh, should we get on the episode, then? Yeah, sure. This is the Runner's World podcast. The Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc is widely regarded as one of the world's toughest races. Starting and finishing in Chamonix, France, it involves 106 miles of running and 31,000 foot of elevation. It attracts the world's best mountain runners, with this year's lineup widely regarded as one of the finest ever assembled. Yet among the 20 something full time athletes making up the top 10, there was another man. Damien Hall, a 42-year-old freelance writer who lives nowhere near any mountains and only started running aged 34. Damien, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, first of all, a, a ginormous congratulations on finishing fifth at the UTMB. Um, <laughs> did that exceed all of your expectations? Yeah, I think I think it's still still kind of sinking in. Um, yeah, my aim, so I was 12th the year before, and I, although that, you know, uh, I was really pleased with that, Retrospectively, I think I was also quite frustrated because I'd, I'd sneaked into the 10th place quite near the end, but then I'd really taken my sort of eye off the ball and, and got into a bit of a funk and, and let slip two places. So I'd come away from the race thinking, 12, that's pretty good, but it's not as good as it could have been. So all year I've been obsessing over it um, and just trying to improve, but I wouldn't have expected to be fifth. But it has to be said that, you know, quite a few, there were some vicious uh, bees and wasps around. I don't know if you've heard the full I've story, about but um, yeah. yes. So there were more DNFs from the front end than the year before, although it wasn't an uncommon amount of DNFs, to be honest. But I do owe a debt of gratitude to whatever. The yeah. bee who stung Killian, was it? Yeah, I'm very grateful to that bee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, bee, wherever you are. Well, unlike Killian and a lot of the front end of the field, you're not a full-time athlete, David. You don't live anywhere near the mountains either. Um, although you've managed to absolutely mix it with these people and finish fifth what do you do to compensate for those what would seem like disadvantages i guess my good friends uh matt and ellie from summit fever media are making a little film of, of utmb and they called it they've called it underdog and i'm probably uh, boring people by yabbering on about my disadvantages but i got a family as well which a lot of these guys don't have i'm 42 now i my best marathon is sort of 238 which you know in a running club is okay but some of these guys can run 220 marathons mm. So and 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 the other disadvantages you mentioned. So I guess what I can do is I am self-employed. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a journalist like you guys, although not to your high standards. Um, oh, but um, but <laughs> I'm <Barry>. able to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm able, so I can. You know, I can't really go tr- do big miles at the weekend, but maybe I can take a day off in the week. You know, I'm my boss, so I can let myself have a day off. Yeah. And I go to the Brecon Beacons. Um, and th- even there, though, the climbs are maybe 400 meters, whereas in UTMB they'll be eight, nine to a thousand meters but if you go up and down it several times you know um so brecon beacons and i can be a bit more flexible in the week than some people and then also i mean i did go out this year and recce the course and i've done the race four times four times now but so i knew it but just to condition those legs those sort of feeble british southern british <laughs> legs um to actually go out there and run the course over three days which i did with three friends who all had a good race as well um i think that was a key a key sort of game changer for me so what is, in, in your opinion, what is the key to success at UTMB? At UTMB? Um, I think, actually, I mean, some people who have done the race joke that it's a hiking race. And you will spend many hours. Obviously, it takes longer to go up a hill than down it. So you might spend an hour and a half going out, getting up a mountain, just 20 or 30 minutes going down it. So mm. 
that's going to be hiking. It's just too steep to walk a lot of it. So you need to practice that hiking. And I think it's key not to think of it as a walk. You know, you're not you're not on on a Sunday afternoon ramble with with your flask of <laughs> flask of tea and, and your crossword to stop off and do sort of thing. You've got to practice it, hike efficiently, use poles or cheat sticks, as a lot of Britain, yeah. Britons call them. Um, you really need to get good at that and get good technique. Um, I've worked with Shane Benzie from Running Reborn on both both running and sort of hiking. Um, and that, to me, that's probably the key thing. And then for a lot for British people, the downhills, after a while, they really, really hurt. Um, so it's getting those legs strong enough that your quads um, aren't super sore, I suppose, uh, by the end of the race, because that can slow you down and, and make you cry sometimes. Can we talk about the cheat sticks? Because I know that there's... <laughs> is there a school of thought, particularly in the kind of the US um, ultrarunners, who don't tend to use the cheat sticks, or, or I, I should be calling them trekking poles? But it seems that if you want to do well at UTMB... It's only stubbornness that would stop you using those um, tracking poles, isn't it? Yeah, that's my view. I think people who don't take them are, are yeah, shooting themselves in the in the foot, really, or stabbing themselves with a pole in the foot. Um, <laughs> um, to me, it's um, almost foolish not to. But at the same time, like I know, say, a really good ultra runner who lives in London, and he can't really, although he does quite well out there, he doesn't use poles because he can't really practice with them in London. So I think if you're not used to using them, it probably isn't sensible to grab grab them the day before and go, right, how do we do this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you get really sore arms and doing that, actually. Um, and, and tennis elbow and stuff. But so I think, yeah, I think it's a really good skill. Um, some of the US races aren't necessarily as sort of up and down. Um, and the, the ultra running culture is quite interesting in the US. Like so a lot of their races, they might have a pacer, which isn't really a thing in, Britain, in Europe and Britain at all. But yeah, to me, the poles is, is a really sensible thing. But the only downside is they never look quite as cool in photographs. You never look quite as heroic. So <laughs> the idea is you need to tuck them away as quickly right. as possible when there's a cameraman around. Um, <laughs> I mean, going back to, 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 to creating success and you, you started talking about 12th and the fact that you were in 10th and it was kind of a bit of a, not a disappointment, but shall we say it's a, a little niggle that kept on niggling. Yeah. Um, so how, did, how do you, the sort of mental side of it then, when, you've, when you've, you've come away from a race and you've got this feeling that actually, you know what, I can do better? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean so I've done the race four times now, four, to, um, four consecutive years, and each year I've come away with this amazing, wonderful, euphoric feeling, this wave of goodwill, both online and, and the people in Chamonix, the crowds are just so generous. But always this nagging feeling of, I could have done better, whether it's something in training or in the race or both. So I had, I had enough cause, I think, to think, well, I think... The mistake I made the previous year was just not getting enough calories in towards the end of the race because you're running for over 20 hours and you start to go off food, much as I love shoving the chocolate and cake in there. <laughs> um, after a while, your mouth doesn't really want it and it's full of sugar and it's all pretty disgusting and, and you can go off food. So you have to be more ca- more just smarter with mm. planning some savoury stuff and different types. of And liquid calories is a, is a clever one, you know, put stuff in your drinks, I had chocolate milk, um, smoothies, right. uh, mountain fuel drink. So I knew, I felt that if I trained just a bit better, but also if I was smarter with my nutrition this time, then I'd have more chance, I suppose. You've kind of obsessed on this race, hasn't it? This has been a, thing, yeah. a kind of real project for you. <laughs> yeah. um, and obviously that's really what, that's really paid off. What, what, do your, what do your kind of friends and family make of the UTMB? Are they... Do they think it's fantastic or they think, oh, finally, he's got top five. It's time to move on. Uh, definitely my family are, are probably quite bored of it. Um, so the last two summers, uh, the previous years, um, it's been a family holiday. I say that with uh, speech quotes around <laughs> it because uh, my wife says I'm not you know, mentally there for the holiday and I'm useless afterwards. Um, um, and in my household, if I mention uh, UTMB, both my children go, UTMB, UTMB, which means, you know, shut up about UTMB. <laughs> We're bored of it. Um, <laughs> 
So, yeah, definitely my family are quite pleased. I have promised them that I'm not doing UTMB next year. Friends, um, I don't know. I have sacrificed. Yeah, I mean, I've made sacrifices this year. I have sacrificed mm. friendships. Um, I haven't been social at all, really, with friends. And I, I'm hoping in the next few months to make up for that. I've missed um, weddings, missed my cousin's wedding to be there. I missed my good friend's wedding the other year. I missed my dad's 70th birthday this year for a race. Um, thank you for not having much obvious judgment in your eyes. I've made, yeah, I've made sacrifices that I hope to sort of make up for, make up for now because it takes that to, you know, to be that high up in the field. It takes that level of commitment, I think. For sure, for sure, oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah, the people that you're racing against are making those kind of sacrifices, aren't they? Day in, day the guy out. in fourth and third and sixth is making similar. Yeah, life well, choices, I most think. of those are full time athletes, and I know definitely for a fact that the guys in second and third, who I know a little bit, they were both out there for a month before the race. Wow, living there, you know, they as far as I know, they don't have families; they're a bit younger. It's easier for them, but they were there, you know, a full month of training there yeah. beforehand. Um, that's the sort of thing they were doing. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult for me to compete, but yeah, I don't know. Getting closer. Well, you did. You did a, a bloody good job. First Brit, fifth <laughs> yeah, overall. It's, it's, it's absolutely. I mean, incredible, it's, it's yeah. genuinely amazing the fact that you are not a full-time athlete. And also, most of what I found shocking because I've just found this out that despite a brief running career at cross country when you were younger, you only started running again competitively when you were thirty-four. I um, yeah, I did my first half marathon in twenty eleven and absolutely loved it. It was the Bath half. What did you run out of interest? One forty. Okay, so like decent first effort, but not like oh my god, we have ourselves no. an athlete, you know? No, I probably ran two, maybe three times a week for that. And I all I had as a guide was my brother-in-law, um, hello James, um, <laughs> as it, he had run one forty-eight. That was his best time, yeah, and that's my only guide. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to comfortably beat one forty-eight. Yeah, yeah. um, and obviously, I've improved a bit since then, but I'm still not that fast. I'm a, I haven't done one for two or three years, but I'm at about one sixteen or something. So not you know, and Mo Farah's not getting too worried about me at the moment. <laughs> But let's talk about, so what did you do then between cross-country being okay at school to 34? What was your what was your focus instead? Oh, I, I got, I was obsessed with football. So, um, um, and I became, my first job as a football journalist. Um, so I, I beca- yeah, um, um, yes, 20 odd years just playing football obsessively, probably three or four times a week. Um, then going to games at the same time and working as a football journalist. Um, I got a little bit bored in my mid-20s and went travelling. Um, that was a very exciting period. I lived in Australia for a while. But even then, I was it was fo- playing football. And, and But I got into long-distance hiking, okay. which I think was is, is a lot more similar to ultra running than, you know, you know we, we all know secretly that ultra runners do hike quite a bit. Um, um, and really, it's, you know, you're carrying a pack, you're getting some chafing in some uncomfortable areas, you're shoving shoving chocolate in so it's fairly similar to ultra running in a way going up and down big lumps um and i think that really led me naturally to the ultra running and that's that's actually helped me quite a lot as well i think do you hope that your example as someone who got into this a little bit older with a full-time job will inspire other people who might be mid-30s thinking about doing ultra marathons i hope so it's a nice nice idea that that might happen I, I do remember being very inspired by steve way and his story yeah. um i don't know when he took it up but, but of achieving greatness in his early 40s you know setting national records and you know he's a phenomenal runner and mm. i followed his journey quite quite closely and um in ultra running you can be a bit older i think speed isn't such a thing and also the mental side of it, it becomes huge so it's good to have a bit of life experience you know I, i've i haven't had many tough moments in my life really compared to a lot of people but when it gets dark you know when it's dark both literally uh because you're running through the night and it's dark you know you're mentally in a dark mood you know a bit of life experience and that mental side that that maybe only comes on later you know in the the middle ages of life um can be really helpful as well so it is a sport for slightly older the slightly older athletes i think yeah in terms of um motivational figureheads i think it's important to mention your support crew definitely Um, um, yes nikki 
As, um, yeah, sorry. Um, just in the fact that she is phenomenal as an athlete and holds many, many records. So how much did that help you when you were Oh, she's, she, she's huge. And, and there's definitely two different ways in which she helps. As one is... Um, um, Nikki Spinks being such a sort of fell running legend and if I come into a checkpoint she's standing there's no way I'm going to whinge about you know a sore toenail or, or a you know a slight chafe somewhere because it's like there's Nikki Spinks she you know she runs for hours in the mountains and sets records that men don't you know that men don't match um, so you've got that whole motivational side to it but also she takes the job incredibly seriously and I was on the phone to her two months beforehand chatting about something else entirely and she said right I've been thinking about you Tim B I've been thinking what I need to do for you how about these ideas you know she was so on it she was obsessing over it as much if not more than me um and it was about this time it was about getting the nutrition right and I, you know she had to the idea was she'd bully me into making sure have you definitely eaten enough in the last two hours you know um but she came up with ideas and she her, she's famous for her um baked beans and rice puddings yeah. which she hasn't quite uh, sort of turned me on to yet but they were they were there she said by the way I've, I've brought a few you know a few from my own race my race bag uh, which i haven't quite yeah no i haven't haven't been converted to those but um no she's a wonderful help wonderful help yeah but how did you meet Nikki's uh, Spinks Stockford? It's kind of through. We're both sponsored by Innovate. Um, it's mostly through that, actually. I'm trying to think when the first time, but as, also as a journalist, I've, I have interviewed her a couple of times um, when she's done amazing things. I think it probably started off like that, and then we've been met at sort of Innovate sort of get-togethers. And I think she, last year she was just going to be out there anyway, helping them on the stand. There's a big e- running expo. And I, I don't know if she had volunteered or, like, I hadn't, I wouldn't have the courage to ask, could I have Nikki Spinks on my side? But she, she, maybe she'd volunteered, I think. And, and um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I'm really not sure I would have, you know, I don't think I'd be fifth without her. I mean, I would have got round, but I'm not sure I would be that high in the field. So I'm really grateful. I did send her some flowers um, afterwards. I don't know really if she's a flowers type of type of woman, but but she said, you know, she seemed, she seemed to be grateful. Yeah, you know, classic gesture. <laughs> um, you weren't the only British success, obviously, at the UTMB and across um, those races. What do you think of the state of British ultra running at the minute? Oh, it's an exciting time, and I, I know on the same show you've got got Sophie Sophie Powers, who's got that incredible story, and, yeah, and she's yeah. just phenomenal. And and I am totally in awe of people like her who are taking maybe twice the time or so many more hours to get round. And and I don't know how to say it without it sounding a bit patronising, but you know they go through so much more than I do. Um, and I'm in awe of those people. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a very good year at UTMB for Brits, like with Beth Pascal was fourth in the women's race, which is the highest finish for a British female since, I think, 2012, when Lizzie Hawker used to win yeah, it. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, and then Tom Evans winning CCC. I think that's the first British win at CCC, which is getting a very competitive race yeah, now. Yeah. You know, there are other good runners around. I mean, on the global stage, we still, we're behind usually the Americans, the Spanish and the French, um, but signs are we're, we're maybe slowly catching them up. That's great, yeah. Well, Damien, thanks very, very much for coming on the Runners World podcast. It was great to hear a little bit more about UTMB journey. Um, I'd like to ask you what you pl- what your plans are next. Do you have any other goals? Uh, it's a bit of a bit of a rest for a couple of months now. Um, I've done things like I sort of didn't drink for three months beforehand and stuff, so I've been you know making up for that. Um, <laughs> oh, and didn't... <laughs> get yourself a beer in here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Yeah. Um, um, and just yeah, catching up with friends, uh, like I say, and and um, trying to repay the debt to my wife of sort of childcare childcare credits. Um, but um, I do have there's some quite advanced talks of a little winter adventure maybe with one of the runners I've mentioned um, and with my friends Summit, Summit Fever Media. I can't can't say too much yet, but maybe in December, in, somewhere in Britain, northern Britain, right. um, it would be a sort of snowy and dark adventure somewhere. Um, and next year, my, my dream is to run a sort of Western States, which is um, Great, yeah. the oldest yeah. 
trail hundred miler in, in 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 the world, I think, but it's over in America. It's difficult to get into, but I'm gonna. There are several doors I can bang on, which I'll be banging on. Um, do you not just, do you not I, just finished, wave I finished fifth at the UCMB. Just like a that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to get into that, but yeah, yeah, it's all it's all good. Well, that sounds great. Well, th- thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Cheers. This is the Runner's World podcast. Sticking with the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc for a moment, slightly further back in the field than Damien, another remarkable story was emerging. British ultra runner Sophie Powell was running the race while stopping to breastfeed her three-month-old baby, Cormac. We caught up with Sophie to hear more about her remarkable achievement and why she thinks it's time we updated the dialogue around pregnant women and new mums. So Sophie, many congratulations on uh, finishing the UTMB. Obviously, you've hit the headlines for completing the race while also breastfeeding your, your three-month-old son, Cormac. I just wondered, what was the motivation uh, for you to, to attempt the race in the first place? So, I mean, UTMB has been a bucket list race for me for, for many years. Um, and finally, I had the points and, and the ballot place in 2014. Um, but I fell pregnant with my first son, Danica, and they refused to let me defer the entry for another year. Um, and this was the next time I got a place. Um, I had an automatic place, but I missed out on the ballot so many times. Um, and I never really meant to thought about finishing the race. Um, it was very much, I have this place. Uh, I'm going to try and be on the start line, try and experience it, take the family out for a week for holiday. Um, but actually training went really well through pregnancy. I recovered really quickly. And um, we thought, let's just try and get to Kormaya. I think it's important. I mean, people saw the story and they were probably like the sensationalized sort of elements of it in the picture, which obviously speaks volumes. But I think it's important to mention that you're, a, a well-practiced ultra runner it's like it's not you didn't just roll up to the start line and decide to do it no absolutely not and I think kind of people see a 106 mile run as a run and very much you can be unless you're unless you're doing all it's um it's a long long hike um and that's a very different pressure on the body um I weight change through pregnancy my tricep dips pull up for the arms quads um which take a bashing on the course and I went around really gently and you can do that um, but certainly you can't go from, from childbirth to, to you can be in three months with, with no previous experience. But it's fair to say, though, Sophie, that you think that some of the messaging around the levels of exercise or strength training that pregnant women or, or recent mums um, should do is maybe do an update. Do you think that we're overcautious when we, when we speak to um, pregnant women and, and, and mums about the kind of exercising they should be doing? I think, I think we are, and I think that's because everything is seen as a risk. Um, but I think the risk in that is that everyone is told to, to sit down and put their feet up. Um, and, and that's actually probably more unhealthy for you, certainly in, in terms of going through childbirth and recovering afterwards. Um, I think for me, the main thing is you know when something's wrong for your body. You know inside yourself. Um, and I, I took away exercises as I couldn't do them anymore or adjust to them and just really listen to my body and the same with the recovery. So you mentioned the tricep dips and the pull-ups and I think if anyone has seen your Instagram account they will have seen the video <laughs> evidence of, of you working out with a considerable bump um how what what was what was it like to keep fit during pregnancy for you and and what was the actual training that you did so I stopped running with um Cormac at five months I stopped running with Donica my first at seven and a half and actually I had a really quite difficult recovery after that it was it was a bit too long for me so I took away all the impact at five months and went straight to the stair mill, which is great uh, replication of UTMB, just climbing stairs kind of minute after minute. Um, and that was my cardio along with long hikes um, and also um, spin class um, and swimming. 
Um, and then the weight, it was very much um, making sure I stayed strong um, and, and focusing on, on an all-round strength that I needed for the race. Um, so actually, I kept my weight fairly consistent through pregnancy. I, I guess I used to do pull-ups with a weight belt on, and then I had a bump instead. Um, <laughs> but I stayed training all the way up until I, I gave birth, and, and it felt natural to do that. So just back to the the race aspect. I mean, what were some of the practical considerations of racing? Because obviously, you couldn't just concentrate on getting yourself to the finish line. You had you had other considerations on the day as well, right? Very much so. I mean, being a breastfeeding mum added a whole new spanner in the work. Um, so it was as long as I'd been away from Cormac, actually. Um, and we knew we couldn't get a breast pump to me or the baby to me until call my ass. Um, so the first 16 hours, new mums are going to be having this in their heads with the pain um, and just trying to hand express at aid stations. But then after then, having Cormac at call my ass, having the pump, um, and then my husband then was able to go through the next night with me and meet me at three checkpoints with the pump. So I knew I had to do that. I think the other consideration was making sure I kept the milk supply up. So I'm kind of feeding two people. And as you know, it's hard enough on an archer to feed yourself. <laughs> yeah. um, so I had to go around the course so slowly. Really, I wasn't sat adapted doing the breastfeeding and eating 24 hours a day. So trying to keep down 300 calories an hour for the first 12 hours and then as much as possible afterwards you have to go slow, you have to hike, you have to stay very much within your limits. Um, it's a completely different way of racing um, than I've done before, but, but that's what I had to do to get around the course. 300 calories. How, what was that each time? What was your main food source? I love I love Chia Charge Bars, um, the flapjacks. It's 400 calories, and I know I can get down one of those pretty quickly. Um, my husband had avocado sandwiches, um, which were always brilliant. Um, we're very much kind of looking at the aid station table and I just stand there and see what can I eat um, and then supplement it with um, chocolate biscuits um, mainly and wine gums and Haribo and all those really healthy foods. Oh, that um, sounds great. I've never been one for gels, um, but there are a lot of chocolate biscuits that, that fueled me around that race. Obviously, Sophie, you're a, you're a very busy person. You know, your mum, a wife, you, you run a business, I believe, as well. Um, a lot of people think about ultramarathons and think, well... If I had time to run 70 miles a week, then I too could run an ultramarathon. But that's not been the way that you've trained for it, has it? Your mileage is much more uh, minimal than that, I understand. Absolutely. I mean, I did Spartathlon in 2016, which is a far kind of tougher race, kind of, um, I would think, kind of fitness-wise. Um, and I did that on 35 to 40 miles a week. Um, 40 miles probably the max, with a few races thrown in, um, plus weight training. And that's what works for me. Um, as you say, um, I, you run a business, you, I don't have enough hours um, to do those mileage. And I think kind of, people think of ultras as marathon plus, plus, plus. Mm. And actually, a lot of ultras are really much more accessible than that. Um, 30 miles, 50 miles on trail, the speed you're going, um, the breaks you're having, um, you can do that on easily less than marathon training if you're not out there to win. If you're out there to win... Um, and, and I was on, on a panel with Tom Evans earlier this week, and he trains 45 hours a week. It's very different. But I think ultras are much more accessible on a, on a lower volume of training than people really think. I think we've seen a few videos of you crossing the finish line with family. Um, how, did it, how did it feel to, to reach that finish line, uh, especially as you started not thinking that you would finish it and just to take part? So how, how did it feel to cross that line? It was amazing. I think I was very much 
going around, the, the thing that kept me going was the fact that um, um, I don't think three-year-olds understand DNF. Um, <laughs> and he'd been, he'd been waiting two days to cross the finish line with me. And he'd seen all the other races, the OTC, the CTC, the people coming through with their kids. And he's like, that's going to be really my mummy. Um, so I didn't really have a choice. Um, but I think seeing, seeing the look on his face at the finish, running through Chamonix, picking up Cormac, um, it was all about him. Um, I, I didn't even think about the fact I'd been out for 43 and a half hours on 20 minutes sleep. It was, it was just so wonderful to see how happy it made him. And what's the reaction been like from the kind of running community at large, Sophie? Has it been very positive or have people been negative about what you managed to achieve? It's been insanely positive. Um, I mean, I I never asked for, for the, the picture to go viral or for so many people to see it. I actually thought it would just be a another UTMB picture. Um, but what it's done, it's certainly kind of a lot of women, women runners, ultra runners, but just mums. Um, I think it speaks a lot to the juggling that we do. Um, and we just get on with things. And, and, and also the need that we really... It's healthy to take a little bit of time for yourself as a person rather than just being mum, especially in those first few months. So I've had thousands and thousands of comments um, um, and, and questions um, from them, and it, it's been it's been a, it's been really wonderful to have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the reaction was was overwhelming. I think in in regards to sort of people noting what you'd achieved and 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 taking it as a as a real motivational thing to for them to do some more running and to and to get involved um and i think most people would probably want to know what you're doing next <laughs> um it's funny because i i actually i don't think i'm even signed up for anything um i think certainly i i need to continue the recovery i wouldn't be running a um i'm, I'm only you know, three months after i wouldn't even be running a a tarmac marathon now for me the the way my body needs to still heal um I'm looking forward to getting back with my coach, um, um, Eddie Sutton, and getting some speed together. Um, she's only ever trained me from pregnancy, so um, we've been on the treadmill, hiking and incline, which has been very boring. Um, getting some speed back, I think I definitely have my eye on, on Tourgé on next year. Um, I've been tracking everyone all week, um, but certainly some shorter mountain races. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, Sophie, thank you very, very much for... Um making the time to speak with us for the Runners World podcast and congratulations again on an amazing achievement at the UTMB. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, Sophie. Okay, cheers. Bye. Bye. This is the Runners World podcast. So here's an interesting study, Ben, for a self-effacing man such as yourself. <laughs> Modesty, it seems, is no good for your health. Bask in your victories and enjoy the life-lengthening benefits. According to new research from the University of Toronto, celebrating success made, uh, made winners more resilient to the life stresses that cause body and mind to age faster. Wow. So get out there and say you're a good runner. Let me hear you say it. I'm such a good runner. Mean it! Uh, yeah! <laughs> No, I, I, I would hundred percent. You can. That makes total sense to me. Like, I mean, that's of course, if you're the self-perpetuating power of self-congratulation. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. I think um, there's a there's a balance with that, isn't it? You know, be proud of yourself, but no one wants someone to. Oh back, no, and we're so. not like the humble brag is not. <laughs> we're not talking about that. Me? Oh god, I just. Sorry to mention it, guys. I managed to run another PB at the weekend. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> But I think that celebrating your achievements is very important for runners. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you think about it, running for the majority of the time, 
it's probably the opposite. It's probably it's, it's consistently hard, and it's probably quite a lot of failure before success. Mm. So you, you know, I think it's important to make a note of the big ones. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. So let us know podcast at runswell.co.uk. What have you achieved recently? What's you have you run a PB? Have you uh, managed to run a marathon for the first time? Let us know. Don't be modest. You'll live longer. Marcus Torgerby was just 20 years old when he headed off into the remote Swedish forest to live as a recluse and dedicate himself to his one true passion, running. For four years, he lived in a tent in the wilderness, braving the hard Swedish winters. His book, The Runner, is a bestseller in his homeland and a powerful exploration of running and personal well-being. We caught up with him over the phone. Age 20, most people are probably studying, working or, or going out partying, um, and you decided to head into the Swedish wilderness. Um, why? I had no direction in life, so it was. I just thought if I put myself in a situation where everything is black and white, maybe I can find my own head, you know. So that's why I took the decision to to leave the society and move out in, in the forest. What were some of the day-to-day challenges of of living in remote northern Sweden? Yeah, so it depends on which time of year, but in the winter time, it was just uh, when it's really, really cold. You know, when you pee, before the pee hits the ground, it's frozen. So <laughs> wow. Then, uh, yeah, so then it's like, then you must focus. Uh, so just keep myself warm. You know, I had my, my toes and my fingers very very often white because of the cold so it was quite a struggle in the week hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. In the time, uh, and, and in the spring and in the summertime, it you know it was no problem. More that um, then it was a little bit more problem in the head, you know, because then it's easy to live outside, and then all the the, the thoughts come. You understand? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so in the winter time, when it's a little bit tough to live outside, then you have like focus on just the basic needs, and then uh, when the summer comes, it's 
the, the struggle is not so hard, but then it's a little bit tougher for the head because a lot of thought. Back to the, the cold and, and, and surviving that, I mean, how much kit did you have to have with you? How many clothes and gloves and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, uh, always two gloves in the winter times. Uh, and then you have like long johns and like uh, maybe a big jacket and some underwear, you know, and then you must keep yourself uh, uh, running. You cannot sit still in the winter. So I walk and ski a lot. And then when I came back to the TP, I start a fire and then, you know, so, ah, so, so you must use the body yeah. to work with it and then you will get the warmth. So, so ah, it was no problem. But of course, a little bit uh, tough also. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it sounds tough. I mean, as well, <laughs> as, well as, as well as keeping you warm, what else did, yeah. did running, what, what else did running offer you during that period? You know, in the beginning, I was restless because, you know, I have nothing to do. So then when I just go out for a run, it feels a little bit more calm in the head. So my running it was like a big thing for me. Because it was something that I did every day, and when I did that, I felt like great. I just run one time a day or two times, and uh, when I did that, life was perfect. <laughs> Sounds good, actually. Um, <laughs> did you have any like, interesting or scary encounters with any wildlife? I'm I'm pretty sure that northern Sweden has some some interesting animals on on that you can probably run into. Yeah, but you know. Now this time of year, it's the it's the the moose hunt. So, so then uh, the moose are quite uh, aggressive. So if you I was out for a long run and uh, ah, so I must just take it. Also, no bears and no wolves. That were no problem. But sometimes, also September, October every year, the, the moose hunt was a little bit uh, <laughs> ah, it, it was. I must uh, take care of myself in in that period because it was a lot of hunters and also a lot of aggressive uh, moose. Could could you outrun a moose, Marcus? You're you're quick. No, 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 uh, no, <laughs> no, no. You know they run really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you so, think that? I mean, you were doing this on your own, Marcus. But do you wish that more people would seek out wilderness and wild places in their life? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, in the society we're living today, I think it's a great society, you know, we have a lot of opportunities, but I think it's also easy to get lost in the head because, you know, it's so much information, and sometimes in life I think it can be important to put yourself in a very black and white situation because then it's easy to feel what's important for real, you know, uh, to feel the, okay, you're really hungry, then you eat, you know, it's perfect. You are really cold, and then you start a fire, then you are perfect uh, happy, you know. To feel that the black and white uh, kind of life, I think that's uh, really, really important. Yeah, uh, going back to basics. Yeah, I think so, because, you know, in Sweden now, we do say, in a way, as a... Uh, we have everything, but still a lot of people that feel uh, sad, you know, in, in the head. And uh, I think it's because, you know, you have everything. And uh, it, it, when you have everything, you are uh, always satisfied. I, I think it's easy to to lose the, the direction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think. 
think it's important to 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 live a little bit more black and white. In your book, you mentioned your 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 mother and and her fighting MS. Um, yeah. Did you see her physical struggles and decline? Did that motivate you to embrace your own physical needs? Uh, maybe, but you know, for me, it was really tough back home. You know, my mother was twenty eight years old when she became ill, and you know, two years later, she sat in a wheelchair and she's struggling a lot. Mm. And of course, it was like a big worry back yeah. home because we didn't know how long will she survive. So when I run, you know, I was just in my own head. So in some way, I think my running was an escape. You know, life felt the, you know, clear and easy when I ran. So, so yeah, I did that. And you were a very good runner, Marcus. I mean, you were a very decent yeah. middle distance yeah. runner. Yeah. Um, mm. What what are your memories of of that period, and why did you why did you kind of sort of step away from the track? You know, in in the beginning, you know, my only ambition were to push hard and to compete and to to win. But uh, uh, you know, I had a really hard trainer, and he pushed me really really hard. So uh, you know, I get like a big injury and then I couldn't run anymore and then I moved out in the forest and then I start to run from a different direction you know I realized that okay I will not be an Olympian but still I, I like to run and you know to be just by myself and to run over the hills and just by myself in the forest I felt I, it was a good feeling so so yeah, I find a different way of running, and I am really glad that I find that, that yeah. way. Because I, I see a lot of people today that their only ambition with their running is to, to compete, and I can understand that. But, you know, running can be a much more, not just that. It can be, you know, a way to, uh, you know, the, the food tastes better, and then you, yeah, you know, you, you sleep better. And so, so I think to see you're running a little bit more, what you say, wider, yeah. not just from one direction. What do you think about the increasing role that, that technology and social media are playing in running? You know, running is very, very simple. And uh, I think that's it, one of the the best things with with, uh, with running. It's, it's just you and, and a, a couple of shorts and some, some uh, shoes, you know. Then you just can go out. And uh, today, I think many people, they think that they must have all these different, you know, technology things. And of course, you can have it, but it's no need for them. Just go out and feel your heart. I try to run in that way anyway. And of course, sometimes when I have a little bit more uh, ambitious to try to compete, I have my watch and try to focus in uh, in the walls and things like that. And then you can have some, you know, technical things, but... Most of the time, I think it's enough with just one pair of shoes and, you know, uh, a single and a couple of shorts and then you just go. In the book, and and just now you mentioned that you had this kind of sense of restlessness when you you were growing up. What advice would you give to anyone else who's feeling, who might be feeling anxious? You know, you must just uh, be in that feeling. Uh, you know, I I was restless a lot in the in the beginning uh, in, in the forest, and I just realized I put myself on a tree stump 
and then I sit there for three months, then it disappeared. So I think if you want to take the restless feeling away, you cannot do a lot of things because then the restless feeling will not go away. So you must just take it easy and to to fight that feeling and maybe take one or two months and then you are free. So, so my advice is don't do anything, just be in that feeling and then it will disappear. Um, you also visited um, Tanzania to run with some of the best East Africans. Um, what yeah. did you learn from that experience? You know, I learned that, uh, you know, they always run with the body. It was, they, as a, uh, they don't, they push hard, but not too hard. So they build like a mental strength because they were, uh, as a, uh, do you say self-confidence? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they they always run at the, the right levels. So they have like a great um, confidence in the body and also in the head. So, so maybe that was the thing that I learned from the Tanzanian guys. You know. I guess you mentioned in the book as well during that period you you became, I guess you became a little obsessed about your weight and it it might be what yeah. it might be what some people describe as as sort of heading towards kind of eating disorder territory. Um, mm. what what have you learned through that experience? You know, when you do something that you really love to do and you push really hard, uh, it's easy to to overdo it, but you don't see it come because, you know, day after day you push a little bit harder, you know, and then six months later you are, you know, you are far away as a... It's a little bit hard to explain, but, you know, the change is so little day by day. And then, you know, a couple of months later, you have like a big problem in the head. So it was like that for me. I had a really big problem with the eating. You know, I realized that I must eat, but I couldn't because it was problem in the head, you know. It was um, so so I can uh, really... Uh, understand those that have that kind of struggles because I see a lot of runners they have that kind of struggles you know you know because if you're going to run fast you must be light yeah. so, so if you lose some weight you run faster but it's also easy to overdo it and then you have like big problems and for me you know I could, uh, so it was uh, when I came back home and just moved out in the forest again, then I find a way to, to heal myself uh, mentally because you know, I pushed really, really hard and I had really, really big problems with eating after the period in Tanzania. When you're back running in the forest um, and outside, are you an advocate of, uh, minimalist running? Do you run like, a, uh, with a, like a low profile shoe or do you like a, a like a, a big running shoe? What, what's your kind of kit do you like using? No, I like to feel the, the ground, you know, so I try to, to run with, you know, not uh, like bare, so, uh, so quite thin shoes. I like that when I feel the ground. Then I think my feet take a good decision, and uh, so I try to run with, you know, flash. Yeah, I think that's your your track, your track yeah. past is still there, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. You know, <laughs> to to feel, yeah, to feel the ground and to feel the 
their, their, their legs. I like that feeling. Yeah. Do you see running, Marcus, as an expression of freedom? Does it offer you that, that feeling? Yeah, yeah. Yes, 100%. You know, you know, I'm 42 years old today, but I run every Happy day. Happy birthday. And yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, but still, I, I love to run every day, you know. Uh, of course, sometimes I try to focus a little bit more if I go to compete in some way. But, you know, most of the time I just go out and to, to run by myself. And that feeling, you know, it, it feels perfect inside. And uh, sometimes when I work a lot, you know, it's a little bit, um, I feel maybe a little bit stressed. Then I go out for a long run, then it's okay again. So, so I think the run it keeps, it helps me to, to be on the, what do you say? The, the, uh, on the, the thin road, you understand? Yeah, <laughs> so straight and narrow. If I don't run, yeah. it's easy to just go crazy. So that's why I'm still running, I think. So do, have you, do you think you found... A nice balance in life now, Marcus. Yeah, I think so. But you know, I have uh, you know my mentality is to push. So of course, sometimes I overdo it, but it's okay. You know, life is like that. I think life is more circular. It's not like a highway. I think life is sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you are hungry, and sometimes you have food in the stomach life is like that it's no problem you know just just uh, you must just give that feeling a hug you know i think today people are, are afraid of all the negative feelings because they think that something is wrong but i think that's a part of being a, a human being marcus that's that i think we can all take away something quite profound about taking ourselves away from everything now and again to to, to find to find a truer meaning I think it's a nice it's a nice idea and I think and well done for doing it and um, I'm, it's good to hear that you're uh, enjoying life now as a, as a <laughs> on your birthday yeah thank you man <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us on the runners world podcast it's been a pleasure to talk to you yeah thank you thank Cheers. you Marcus. thanks Cheers. a lot okay. bye. 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 bye bye for more from runners world head to runnersworld.co.uk uh, so Interesting to hear Marcus talk about that. I actually went on holiday recently to Sweden and we, we went round some of the archipelago that I think is where near where Marcus grew up. And it is, I mean, that wasn't even northern Sweden, but it's very wild. And I, I kind of get a sense of what it must have been like just to sort of take himself away when he was 20. And then we talk about, well, certainly we try to talk about mental health yeah. and running and, and then the positives that it has. But I think to have to talk to someone whose story is, is solely like to remove themselves and just to run mm. to sort of recalibrate yeah it's super interesting yeah i liked his idea for his advice about if you're feeling anxious just to sort of sit with it not just not to constantly try to run from that give feeling. that feeling a hug yeah that's what i like that yeah yeah it's really nice i think he still lives in the kind of countryside with his family but it's nice that i feel like there was a journey there and he's actually now um, got more of a sense of balance in his life. Running's still playing a part, but it's not this kind of all-consuming uh, negative thing either. No, that no, was really good. Cool. Well, um, on the cover of the next issue of uh, Runners World is Team GB's Dina Asher-Smith, fresh from winning three golds at the European Championships. Um, we managed to catch up with her to talk about how she got started and, and where she hopes to go next. Um, the audio on the next clip isn't top-notch as it was recorded via Skype, uh, but we hope you still find it an interesting listen. So... 
Athena Asher-Smith, welcome to the Runners World podcast. It's absolutely great to uh, to be speaking with you, particularly on the back of your amazing performance at the European Championships. What were your expectations going into that tournament? Um, did you surpass them or, or were you hoping to, to come away with all three golds? Oh, oh, first of all, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, the Europeans was great fun and it was very successful for me. Obviously, I went into it hoping that I could win the events that I'm in. But obviously, mm. when you're in that kind of championship, you never know what's going to happen. That's why we all love track and field, I guess. Um, you might be a favourite or you might be the fastest one going in. But um, you never quite know what's going to happen. So um, I definitely, winning all three goals was, was in my aims. It was my target. And I'm very happy to have done that. But yeah. in terms of the times that I ran and winning together with the relay team, that certainly surpassed my expectations. Do you have any kind of mantras or like pre, pre-racing pre kind of rituals that you do to make sure you're in that kind of right headspace? I think for that, my coach and my physio are really, really brilliant mm. because they um, make sure, help me make sure that I'm in the right mental headspace. They make sure that I'm calm and relaxed and happy, really. For me, I'm just, I think I'm really sure that I'm just kind of like a bubbly and excitable person. So if I want to be able to do well and if I want to be able to succeed on track, I just have to be relaxed and happy. I'm sure your running is going to inspire lots of people, but I wondered about if, if you have a, a running hero who kind of inspired you. Uh, definitely, Alison Felix. <laughs> right, yeah. Definitely, I mean, it's nice to think that people are uh, inspired by me, which is really cool. But um, Alison Felix, she is my absolute hero. Like, she's, an, she's a living legend. I mean, there are so many legends in track. You've got, obviously, you've been who's retired and all those things. But, um, yeah, Alison, she's won everything mm. that um, you can win. She's, I think she's the most decorated female track and field um, athlete ever. And she just does it all with such grace, and that's something that I think is really commendable and something that we can all learn from, irrespective mm. of whether that's in running or just in life in general. So I guess alongside um, you know, training as an elite athlete, you also uh, got a history degree. Was it, was it very difficult to kind of juggle <laughs> those, those two things? Because, um, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of them sounds hard enough, yeah. <laughs> it definitely was. Everybody always asks me, did you, did you find it hard? And the other answer is, yeah, I definitely did. It was difficult because, yeah... Um, I did do my history degree at King's College London, which everybody knows like, it's, it is a rigorous uh, degree, it's a rigorous education um, anyway, and that's why I wanted to go there, because I knew that I would get a really, really good standard of uh, a good standard of teaching. Um, but, yeah, that, alongside trying to qualify for World Championships, various World Championships, and obviously the Olympic Games uh, back when I was studying, it, it was hard, but um, I don't think anything that's worth having in life, anything that... Um, mm. Yeah, anything that's worth having in life does does come easily. You have to work for most things. I don't. I can't think of many people um, that haven't had to really apply themselves and haven't had to really work hard for something that they want. I know that you were you also the kit carrier on Super Saturday back in London 2012. I wonder how inspiring a night that was for you to see all those great British athletes winning gold medals. It was. It was. It was such a, an amazing night. It was probably well anybody that was in the Olympic stadium that night does say that. It was the atmosphere was just incomparable. I mean, it's very, very hard to describe uh, the atmosphere of, like in words, mm. um, what the stadium was like that night. But yeah, the, the performances were inspiring. Actually, for me, what resonated with me more was the way that um, the crowd reacted to to Jeff, to Greg, and those performances. Because I mean, yeah, you see the incredible performances. They won gold in 2012. Like that is the pinnacle of your career. That's everything you want. Like, to win gold medals at a home Olympics, that is every athlete's dream. 
But um, I think what was more powerful was when you kind of looked around, you saw people that didn't really know them, people that, well, not didn't really know them, but like they weren't like lesser neighbors, they weren't like mums, uncles. Mm. <laughs> they were a part of the general public that didn't have a close relationship to their close personal relationship to the athletes, but they were still so crafty. And like sometimes they were crying and they were screaming and they were just overjoyed to see that they'd be successful. I guess one of the, the athletes that won on that Super Saturday Dina was was Jess Ennis Hill, and, and I guess she was a sort of poster girl of of that London Olympics. And I guess there are some people who'd be thinking that they'd like you to be the kind of have a similar role for for track and field. Is that something that you're aware of and comfortable with, or do you, do you try to sort of resist that? A bit? Um, it's something that I'm aware of. Um, or I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Yeah, that's just because it comes with the territory. So, if anything, but whether or not, I think it's kind of. It's kind of like uh, it's cool. It's I don't know what to say. It's cool. It's nice, and it's, it's very heartwarming to see that people seem to be like that. But I always think the great thing about athletics is that you've got so many different personalities across so many disciplines, mm. and um, that's why I love it. Because one second you can have yeah me on the hand, um, on the hand straight running, and then in the next breath you've got Laura Muir running that running laps, having done her best to do, and doing absolutely fantastically. You've got Pat doing seven events. Um, over two days you've got mm. more from the high jump you've got so many brilliant personalities and you've got so many different people that bring so many things to British track and field and world track and field in general that um, I feel like you can even kind of share it out but uh, <laughs> but I am aware of what people are saying and it's nice and it's heartwarming and it's, I kind of want to say thank you to them that they believe that yeah that's me <laughs> <laughs> I guess with, with all the increased attention, I guess, and, and expectation, how do you how do you keep your feet on the ground? How do you stay grounded? Um, well, to be fair, I'm not finding it too hard, if I'm being honest, because, A, I haven't really noticed it too much in, in my day-to-day life. Like, my Instagram followers went up, but that's like, <laughs> it, and that's not really, like, real life, is it? <laughs> like, uh, I'm still going, like, I'm training as normal, my friends are all coming around as normal, my friends are still laughing at me when I trip over my own feet and do silly things. Everything's very much the same. So um, for me, life hasn't really changed. I think that's a really good thing because ultimately it gives me the time and um, to focus on what makes me kind of fast in the first place. How do you unwind, Dina? What do you do when you're not running? I love to travel. So, but travelling for track and field, travelling for races is very different to travelling for um, a pleasure because when yeah. you're travelling for races, obviously you're less focused, you're get up and train, hotel, track, train, sleep, sleep, train, and you race and you come home, so you don't really get to be a tourist. But when you get to do it on holiday, you get to kind of see the most beautiful scenery, you get to enjoy the cultures, um, cities and countries, which is really mm. fascinating. That's what I like to do, especially coming from a history background. I love to go to places and I'm like, oh my God, this <laughs> happened, like how many... Uh, how many years ago I take a picture for her? Or I'm sad in my I'm sunset. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, I like to travel. Do you, do you ever do, I mean, I guess a lot of our readers do, like, are more like into long distance running. Are you interested in sort of slower, longer distance stuff? Do you ever do that stuff like for fun or as part of training? Um, to be fair, I, I actually don't at all, mm. which I, weirdly, I never run probably more than a 300 or even a 400 metres. And that's jogging, running fast or otherwise. Simply because if you think about it, for me, it's kind of counterintuitive because I spend how many weeks, well, I spend 48 weeks of my life, well, a year, yeah. <laughs> six, six days a week, 48, um, 
weeks in a year, trying to make my feet turn over as quickly as possible, trying to get as much power to the floor and make my feet go as quickly as possible. But um, And then for me to kind of go and jog for long times, it kind of undoes that, if you get what I mean. Yes, for sure. It's kind of yeah, the opposite sure. to what I want. So um, for me, um, doing long-distance running isn't part of my training program. But I think when I kind of, when I get older and I move out of sprinting and I don't need to have my feet moving as far, that's yeah. definitely something I do because I feel like, I, sometimes I feel like, when I'm, I'm not missing out, but everybody talks about how relaxing it is and how, and all, and all the, like, the, like, little weight men and little, they always, when I get to, like, in destination, and, um, and like, to races, they always go on the most beautiful running trails. Mm. And, like, when they go to Oregon, they always talk about Queen's running trail. And I'm like, oh, I could walk it. <laughs> Having a nice relaxing job would be great. But, unfortunately, it's not part of my training program. You'll have, to, you'll have to wait for after after the career's over, I guess. But there's plenty of time. Yeah, another, of time. another 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, in, in the meantime, how do you rate the state of British sprinting, both for men and women. Do you think we're in a good place, or do you think there's more improvement? I'm a bit biased, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are biased. In, in your, in your, in your totally unbiased yeah. opinion. <laughs> totally unbiased. <laughs> and well, to be fair, there's always room for improvement. I'm one of those people that even if I was to go and win everything there is to win, I'd still be like, yeah, but you know, when I started, my right foot didn't come through quick enough. So blah blah mm. blah. But I always think there's always room for improvement. Um, everybody could always do running faster. That's, that's what we push for. That's what we train for. But right now, I think it's 10 out of 10 really healthy because we've got so many people with just such good mentalities coming through and sprinting. They're young and they have good mentalities. And um, aside from performances, that's what's always the most important when we're young. Because if you're running, I don't know, 9, 7 at 19, that you've got kind of a mentality of this is me, I am the best, blah, blah, blah. Um, then you're unlikely to improve because you haven't got the the kind of the hunger and the need to and the, and the determination to keep going to training and working hard. And, but um, sometimes, yeah, it's meant to, I say it's the mentalities that are important. I think that's the thing in British sprinting that is so special right now mm. is the fact that not only are you know, both of course the men and the women talented and um, and they're young, so they've got a lot of time to um, progress and improve. But Mentally, they're hungry and they're humble, which always makes me that every year you're going to come to into training and give it your all and, and work even harder to be as fast as you can be. And that's something that will ultimately um, turn your performances into um, medal when you come to whether that's with a relay or on an individual basis because you will always keep working harder and never going to get complacent. And mm. um, I think, yeah, which is when is in a good place. But I think it's the fact that people are hard workers. It's just, yeah, that's what makes it so special. Could you tell us how you how you first got started in, into running? Was it something that you were immediately good at, or do you think you kind of it was it was something that took a little bit of I, a few years? I actually got started through what you say jogging. <laughs> I I was uh, I used to be I, when I was younger. I was really sporty. So I used to swim. I used to do platform diving. I used to do dancing, both ballet and dad. I, so I was just active. And um, at my primary school, there was a new running club. Yep. And I totally was, I I was, my friend said, oh, will you come to this new running club with me? And at first I was like, no, you're good. Like, running doesn't seem like it's for me. I run it. <laughs> running isn't really for me. I already do so many things, because besides all, I was just playing the trumpet, like learning how to do French, all these things. And I was literally like, no, uh, I haven't got busy. And she was like, if you come with me, I'll buy you my ice cream. 
I was like, yeah, okay, cool, I'll come then. Uh, I just went for the first session. I didn't really think much of it. And then I, I thought that that was going to be like it because I did my dues and I was going to get my icing. And, but hmm. then, because I went to quite a small primary school, by just turning up on the first day, that means you were automatically entered for the local cross-country competition, which then I was not there to leave by. I was like, this is not worth an ice cream. So there was about three, 400 children in the Bromley Primary School's cross-country at Crystal Palace. And I remember just running and running and running and running and running. And you know, well, you understand what I mean. You know when you roll for a long time, you get that taste of what you think is blood in your mouth? Yeah. Like, do you get that? Yeah, like, obviously it's good, but I don't get that anymore, which is fabulous. But um, I remember I had that when I was like, you know, I was eight years old and I was running and I was thinking, I'm going to die. So I stopped to talk to the marshal and I was like, look, I can taste blood in my mouth. I actually think that I'm dying. <laughs> and then he was like, just keep going. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to die. And it's all outside and fault, like I told him. And I just kept running and running and running. And then I finished. And my mum came up to me. She was like hugging me. And like, oh, you did so good. I didn't understand what's going on. Then it turns out I came like fifth out of like three, four hundred kids. So I was like, oh, oh, I can do it right. And then obviously that means, unfortunately, I have to do it again. Yeah. I, I did it again. And obviously I think I won the next one. And then I won the one after. I came joint first, the one after that. But then from doing cross country, um, I went to my local running class. I tried long jumps. And then I fell into sprinting, which mm. was fabulous. I found out, hey, there's a thing that, because I'm, I'm a bit of a, come on, let's go for it kind of person. Sprinting has that kind of, aggression it has that kind of confidence you know when you've got to stand the line and there's no pacing it you've got to be ready or you're not and so yep. when the gun goes you've got to give it your all and that really resonated with me because that is the kind of thing that's like my kind of personality it's like come on let's go for it <laughs> that's me yeah i was very happy that i fell into printing you mentioned the the lure of the ice cream there and i wonder if there is do you have a kind of post-run treat that you allow yourself to kind of indulge in like oh. uh, you know what, it's normally a post-season treat, which is, especially this year, my whole team has been so on it with me. They've been like, come on, you're in great shape, push it through, your team is going to be good. So every time I'm like, yeah, I'm a TV, can I have a cupcake? They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, you know what, my post-season treat is just everything. It's just everything I have ever wanted and craved. So that for me is ribs, it's mac, mac and cheese, it's cakes, it yep. is ice cream, it's everything honestly it is absolutely everything i've got a real craving for um cabbage chocolate buttons right now like they're my absolute favorite you know like you know those things when it's just i think every year we all have different cravings mm. last year it was sweet potato fries like it was like everywhere with chipotle mayonnaise and i couldn't have any it was awful <laughs> <laughs> um now i don't really need them anymore i don't i'm not craving that but it's chocolate buttons right every time i walk into a petrol station i'm like oh my word there's more chocolate buttons so i guess Chocolate buttons for me, yeah, is the one right now. But I'm finished soon, so I'll be eating those. Just imagine me in off season, lying yeah. on the beach with loads of cabbage chocolate buttons. <laughs> well, Dina, thank you very, very much for uh, for speaking with us for the Runners World podcast. It's absolutely amazing to hear about um, how you started off. Uh, also, your obviously your love of uh, cabbage chocolate buttons and uh, plans for the future. So, thanks very much for making the time to speak with us. Um, thank you. For more from Runners World head to runnersworld.co.uk. So that brings us to the end of this month's Runners World podcast. I want to say a big thank you to our guests, Damien Hall, Sophie Power, Marcus Turgaby and Dina Asher-Smith, and to Scramble Studios in Soho where this was recorded. For more from Runners World, why not visit our website, runnersworld.co.uk, where you'll find more news, reviews and interviews from the wide world of running. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a rating. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next month. 
The Runner's World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios, Soho. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.